0: Uh, my name's Adam. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, I'm glad that you're here. <clears throat> I believe that God gathers us as a body of believers week in and week out for a purpose. That purpose is not just to hear songs or to hear God's Word, but that it's a gathered body of people collectively saying the same thing, and that sustains us. And That same thing is that Jesus is real, and what, what he's done for us is real. And we can cling to that together. Um, so if you're a visitor here, I'm glad that you're here. We're better because you're here. If you've been here for a long time, I'm glad that you're here because we're family. And So thank you for coming this morning. Um, as we engage in the, in the passage this morning, we've been reading through the book of Isaiah since I think September. We started the back half of the book of Isaiah, and we're, the whole idea is this concept of God's coming glory, that in Isaiah's prophecy over the people of Israel who are um, getting ready to be exiled out of their promised land because they've not followed what God has asked them to do, in that exile that God's promise to them is that that's not the end of their story. In fact, they will be restored. They will be gathered back together and restored. And then for us today, as we're looking at that, Isaiah also makes it clear that just that restoration of Israel back into the promised land is also not the end of the story. That that there's somebody coming that's going to save the world, rescue the world from the problem of sin. And that that's also not the end of the story. That that person is going to come a second time, ultimately, in full glory and reign forever. And if you have been gathered into His family, then you get to be with Him in this clash of glory coming, that's coming for us. And so that's the concept around the idea of this coming glory theme that we've been talking about. But now we are in the final chapter of the book of Isaiah. So open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 66. And we're going to hang out in just two verses there. But this Christmas season, as we look at chapter 66, our goal is this: that in chapter 66, we can see the first advent of Christ and the second advent of Christ. When we say the word "advent," we mean this. It just means the arrival of somebody important or something something that's important. So whether that's uh, the advent of television, we've heard that phrase, or the advent of the Internet, the advent of the smartphone. And here we have the advent of Christ, the coming of Christ. And so in the Christmas season, we prepare our hearts to celebrate this arrival of Jesus in the first and then in the second advents. And in the passage we're going to read today, we're going to find God's comfort. I asked Blake over here what his comfortable thing was. What was it, Blake? Say it loud. A weighted blanket. blanket. I have one that my mom gave me and it is significant, just you're out, it's pretty great. Um, it is a very comfortable thing. Uh, in the first service I was telling a story, um, Barbara Hicks was here and it, was, it reminded me, when I was a poor, single, 20-something, volunteer, volunteering in our student ministry here at the church, um, one evening, just randomly, I got a knock on my door. Um, and I open the front door, and there is tiny little Barbara Hicks with a tray of her famous enchiladas, and what a comfort to a like 25-year-old kid to receive sustenance for like, well, in my case, like a day, but (laughs) you know, most people could eat on it for a week, but this like tray of goodness, just great comfort to me. And we've all received those types of gifts, whether it's a a comfy blanket or a, uh, you know, I'm so grateful that our family doesn't participate in the, if your family is like this, good on you, but the like matching PJs at Christmas time and you take a family photo, A, no, and B, finding some that fit me and my five-year-old is not going to happen. So we don't do that game, like, but comfy PJs are a thing blankets, food. Those are gifts that we receive as comfort, but we find other things that bring us comfort, and we'll talk about those things later. But all of those things are temporary. A weighted blanket is only good for us when we're sleeping. You can't walk around in this world with a weighted blanket. A tray of enchiladas is only good for about 30 minutes while I'm eating it, and then it's gone, and I don't feel good. Right? Christmas PJs or the perfect Christmas picture or whatever. It's temporary. Can't can't wear those around all the time. And and here in this passage we see God's true comfort. And so we're gonna we're gonna talk about four things today and and, and I just want to give them to you up front so you know what they are. That God God promises that his comfort is coming. And that his comfort comes through Jesus in his birth, his life, and his death. And that we as a church, as the church, global, capital C church, have a role to play in comforting. And that in Christ's second coming, comfort is found for all of eternity. So today, we're going to be talking about comfort. So I'm going to read the passage, which is just two verses. I'm going to pray, and then we'll dig into this thing fully. Everybody on board with me? All right, chapter 66, starting in verse 12, says this. For thus says the Lord, behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. And you shall nurse And you shall be carried upon her hip and bounced upon her knees as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you and you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. God, as we read your word this morning, I pray that you break our hearts down whatever barriers we might have, whatever walls we might have put up before we even walked in here this morning, God, I pray that you just start pulling those things back so that you can speak straight to our hearts, including myself. God, let your word reveal your truth to us today. Let my words be few and your words be many. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. In this passage, we see this idea of comfort, of peace coming. But to understand what it's talking about, we have to go back a few verses. And in verse 7, I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but in verse 7, there's this prophecy about a son that is going to be born. And when this son is born, in verse 8, we see that a nation is born in a moment. That through this son's birth, then a nation is brought forth in a single moment. And this is a picture of God sending Jesus Christ, and for all those who believe in him, become a part of his kingdom, a part of his nation. And his nation, God's kingdom, is born in a moment. Not just the Jews, but all who've come and all who believe are gathered together as one body the church. And it's born out of this baby. And then in verse 12, God is speaking about this church, this global big C, everybody who believes church. Behold, I will extend peace to her, the church, like a river. And the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. God extends peace to this church like an overflowing river. And you, so now it gets personal, you shall nurse and you shall be carried upon her hip and bounced upon her knees. God extends his peace to the church, and through the peace that the church has received, we, collectively, as people who are a part of the church, can be nursed, carried, and bounced. Nursed, carried upon her hip, and bounced. Or put it this way, nourished, sustained, and nurtured. So the church plays a role that we collectively as people will be nourished, sustained, and nurtured by the church. And then God gets personal even more in verse 13. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you, and you will be comforted in Jerusalem. God promises to comfort us in the same way, personally. So it's this kind of triple level of God's peace. God's peace comes to us personally. He comforts us like a mother does a child. And then because we've been comforted by the love of God, we are now a part of God's nation, his kingdom. And so as a part of his nation and kingdom, we have a role to play of nurturing, of nourishing and sustaining those who are in our midst. God's comfort plays a role personally and in the church. We see this promise fulfilled in the person of Jesus. He establishes his church and invites all to know his comfort. But for the people of Israel in this time, they are then exiled, restored back to Jerusalem. They rebuild the city and start living their lives again as God's people. But this promise of this son and this nation and this peace was made 700 years before Christ was born. And so for 700 years, Where is this promise? We're waiting for it. And for 400 years before Jesus is born, the prophets go quiet. God isn't moving and God isn't speaking to the people of Israel. Things are looking bleak. It's a tough time. And it's not just that the people of Israel sit in Jerusalem and they just kind of keep doing the things that they've always done for 400 years and then Jesus is born. No, there's like full-on turmoil that happens. The Persian Empire comes and takes over that part of the world and all of a sudden everything that they know is changing. They've been speaking Hebrew for all of these generations all the way back and then the Persians take over and all of a sudden Aramaic becomes the prominent language of the day in the region things are changing. They're not staying the same. And after the Persian empire is there, the Greek empire is like, hey, we want a part of that world. So they come and they take over the Persians. And now we've got the Greek empire here. And the people of Israel are still there under this Greek empire, trying to to figure out and waiting on God's promises. But where are they? Our Old Testament scriptures that have always been in Hebrew are now translated into Greek because now the scholars and the educated ones of the day are speaking Greek and are dealing in that language. And so we get this Old Testament translation into Greek. It's called the Septuagint. You can go read it. It's out there. You get this like culture mash. Everything's changing for them. And then 60 years before Jesus is born, the Romans take over. And now there's even more political unrest. Stuff isn't easy for the Israelites. It's hard. It's challenging. And where are these promises? Where is this comfort? Where is this peace? Because we don't see it. We don't see it. Where is it? And in the midst of that turmoil, of that political climate, In the midst of 400 years of silence, God speaks through an angel to one little girl and lets her know that God's plan from the beginning of time is being spun up. That God's plan to rescue the whole world is coming. And we see that in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. from her. Mary was the first to fully understand what God was up to. Now, previously in chapter 1, Elizabeth and Zechariah, they get a hint that God's up to something, but Mary knows fully what God's plan is. Because Mary knows the promises from the Old Testament. She knows that from the beginning of the Israelite nation that God made a promise to Abraham. Hey, Abraham, you're going to Get the promised land, but also, Abraham, the whole world is going to be blessed through you, through your family, Abraham. Mary, she's part of that family. God's moving. Verse 33 He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, Abraham's family. Jump up a verse. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David. Mary knows the promises that were made to David in 2 Samuel, where David is king, and he recognizes that God doesn't have a place to dwell himself. And so he says, God, I'm going to build you a house. And God's like, no, you're not. You're not going to build me a house. In fact, I'm going to build you a house, not a literal house, but I'm going to build you a kingdom. And through you, your kingdom will reign forever. And this angel standing in front of Mary, who's heard this promise time and time again, hears this. He will, I will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary knows what God's up to. She's not clueless. In the midst of all of the political turmoil of the time, 400 years of silence, God speaks to a little teenage girl and says, hey, there's hope. My promises are true, and they're coming true. God's comfort's not in a mighty, handsome king or a big, powerful warrior, but it's in your baby, Mary. God's comfort is coming in your baby, in God's baby. See the parallel? God's going to comfort us the same way a mother comforts us and he sends his comfort to a mother who's going to comfort that baby and nourish it and sustain it and nurture it. God's comfort comes to us in the form of a baby. That baby grows up. They name him Jesus. And God's promises are fulfilled in him. And then Jesus makes some promises of himself as he's walking this earth. And this is a passage that I've used a handful of times over the past couple of years because it's something that's resonating with me. In Matthew 11... Starting in verse 28, Jesus is speaking, and he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus now, in his ministry, makes this claim. Come to me, all who are weary, all who labor, all who are loaded down with the weight of this world. Come to me. And I will give you rest. Not just rest, but rest for your souls. He calls us to himself. All who are weary can find rest in him. When we think of comfort, we think of these things that we grab and we put on a weighted blanket, tray of enchiladas, whatever it is that you gravitate towards when your life is hard, that's your comfort, right? For me, it's a drive through. It's real, I'm being honest. Like, I'm working on it, but I'm being honest. Like, hey, well, this has been a tough week. And I'm just gonna go through a drive-through and my wife's not gonna know about it. so She's not gonna call me out, right? Pay cash, like, you know? (laughs) Guys, it's real. And I'm gonna sit in my car and I'm gonna enjoy spicy chicken sandwich from Popeyes and a Dr. Pepper. Like it's real. And I'm going to sit there and I'm going to enjoy it. But when I'm done with it, I'm not truly comforted. For that few minutes, because I eat fast, just like a minute or two, I feel better. But then it's immediately gone. And there's no greater value, there's no greater nourishment to me. It's just gone. What's the thing that you gravitate towards when you're seeking comfort? What's the thing? We all have them. And they're all real. You see, the problem with the way that we grab for comfort is that all of them are temporary, no matter what it is. Anything this side of heaven that we grab for comfort is temporary. It will not sustain us. And the reason we need comfort to begin with is because sin reigns rampant in our world. And in our lives, we might think that we're good people, that everything's great in our lives, but I guarantee you, you woke up this morning and probably before you got here, you sinned in some way, because I did. And I got up at 5 a.m. and left the house at 5.30. Like, there's not a whole lot of time there. And I'm by myself. Like, it's real. Sin runs rampant. And so as sin runs rampant, we try and fix all of the things that sin has caused. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with whatever it might be because of my decision that I made, so I'm going to try and fix it in whatever way I can so that my life is comfortable. And sometimes it's not like personal sin. It's just the fact that sin exists that we get hit with it. Like, hey, uh, somebody close to me is no longer here Death was not God's plan. Sin entered the world. Death happened. It's not on you, but it's global. Illness is a part of sin. Not personal. It's just part of sin nature in this world. And so in our weariness, in our burden, in our hurting, Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest for your souls. Not something temporary, not something that's a chicken sandwich, but rest for your souls because you need it because I can fix the problem of sin for you. That's what comfort looks like. Knowing that we can come to the one who saves us of our spiritual problem. We can't try and comfort our way out of all of our issues. Can't. But God says, Come to me. Let me show you the remedy for your problem. It's me. Jesus doesn't take us, I was listening to a pastor, this is years ago, and he said, Jesus doesn't take you and say, hey, tell me your problem, and I'll tell you where to go to get an answer, because Jesus is the best answer. So Jesus can't say, hey, your problem is this, let me point you to a really good whatever. Hey, you're, you're struggling with an illness, let me point you to the best doctor in the world. Jesus says, no, come and trust me. Go be wise about what doctors you choose, but come and trust me. Find your comfort in me. He's the best answer. He doesn't point you anywhere else. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. Then he tells us how in John chapter 14, verse 1, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. Hey, to, for your troubled heart to be eased, it's not too difficult. Believe in God. God's promises are real. His sustaining power is real. What he said is real. And I am the fulfillment of God's promises. Believe in me. Our unsettled hearts can be calmed. Believe in him. Trust in him. Come to him. God promises us comfort through a baby. That baby is born. He promises us comfort. Come to me. And we come. Some of us here have fully engaged with Jesus for a long while. Hey, I've come to you. I've been walking with you. I've been doing this thing. But still, your life feels uneasy. It's because you've got to keep coming to him. It's so hard to just lay out all of your vulnerabilities before him. What he asks of us. Come to me with all of it. I can handle it. And once we do that, once we we give ourselves over to to Christ for the first time, we're part of God's kingdom and then collectively we keep doing that day after day after day and we're reminded of our need for Him and the way that He has comforted us, the way that He has carried us, the way that He's sustained us and nourished us and grown us up and made us be able to function in this world. And then He calls us In 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3, he calls us to be a comfort to those who don't know his comfort yet. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the same comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God a lot of comforts a lot of with which is but here's what it boils down to God loves you he comforts you ultimately he gives you peace in your life and he overcomes your sin problem but then he sustains you through his comfort time and time Again, And because we've received his ultimate comfort, we can come alongside others who are struggling and comfort them as well. That we have a role to play as the church. Last night, <clears throat> my wife and I were sitting, talking about the message. She was watching a weird British Bake off show. Um, and we were talking. And she, she said... The most practical, she, she said, I'm so glad that my God is not a God that comes up next to me when things are hard and just pats me on the head and says, They're there, everything's going to be okay, and then walks away. She's so glad that God comes with her and weeps with her and mourns with her and grieves with her and sustains her through his personal, up-close, deep comfort. And church, if we want to be a people who point people to Jesus, which I hope that you do, we have to be willing to enter in to people's lives. Because comfort cannot be given from a distance. It doesn't work. Comfort cannot be given from a distance. We've got to enter in. The most comforting thing you can do is to show up and be present. Weep with them, mourn with them, grieve with them, love them. And let your comfort be the same comfort as Christ in those moments. Christ left heaven and came to earth To comfort us we must leave our own creature comforts in order to be able to get in the mess to comfort others God's comfort doesn't end with just Jesus coming and dying on the cross for our sins and making a way for us to get to heaven. It doesn't just end there, because he doesn't just then leave us here to fend for ourselves for the rest of time. Ultimately, God's comfort comes in his second coming. Jumping back to John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you, And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Jesus promises that he's coming back and that while we are waiting, he is preparing a place for us of ultimate comfort and peace. And that in his coming back, he says, I want to take you to myself, because where I am, there you may be also. He wants to come back and get in the junk with us and say, no, you are mine. Let me be your comfort. Let me be your joy. In Christ's first advent, we see the promises of God fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ in the birth of Jesus. But in the second advent, the comfort of God is fully realized for all of eternity for those who believe. God's comfort is eternal. This state of uncomfortableness where everything seems broken, where everything seems jacked up, where we get bad news, where life is hard, is not the end of the story. He's coming back in His glory. He brings us close and says, where, you are, where I am, you will be as well. Come let me show you my comfort. You know the way to get to me, he says at the end of this passage. You know how to get to me because I've told you. Believe. Trust me. Come to me. I'm here. Christ's love for us is huge. And today in this place, God's comfort is for you. God wants to comfort you in whatever condition you're in right now, whatever news you got, whatever hurt you have, whatever sin you have in your life, God wants to comfort you right here, right now. Come to him. Come to him. Your troubled heart can be eased in him. Your weary soul can find rest in him. His comfort is for you. Adam, I'm already a Christian. I've already been doing this for a long time. That's great and that's fine. Keep coming to Christ. Keep coming to Christ. He wants to comfort you every day. If you're here and you don't know If you have a relationship with Jesus, turn to him. Tell him that you need him. Tell him why you need him. And ask him to forgive you. He will. Come to me, all who are weary. Your souls will find rest. The worship team is going to come up. We're going to sing the same song that we sang earlier. But here's why. Because if we're lonely, this is our chance. This is our chance to crawl into the arms of God and find peace. If you're sorrowful, this is your chance to come and put your head on his chest and weep and find infinite comfort. If you're sinful, this is the time where you get to come and experience the throbbing heart of God filled with infinite compassion and love for you. Come Find rest. Find forgiveness. And this song, O come all you unfaithful, is a song that is a song of invitation. Everybody who's unfaithful, come. Look what God has done. His promises are true. They are fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Jesus loves you so much that he went to the cross and died for you. He's the lamb who was given. Slain for our pardon. And his promise, we're going to sing this, his promise is peace, ultimate comfort for your souls. This is the hope that we have. It's a song of invitation, but it's also a song of declaration. I've been unfaithful. I've been broken. I've been hurting. I've been lonely. I've needed a Savior. And guess what? God did it. Christ was born for me and for you. He's the Lamb that was given, the slain for my for my pardon and his promise to me right now in this place is his peace upon my life. This is the declaration we get to make today. So don't let this song just be words. Let it be an invitation for your souls to come to Christ. Let it be a declaration of our hearts and our voices of what. He has done for us and how good He is to us. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your great love that you sent to us through Jesus. Thank you for your comfort, for your peace. God, I need it. In my life, I run to things constantly that are not you, that bring me no ultimate comfort. But God, I turn to you today. Let this song be a song of invitation and declaration for us, God. Let your people sing it with full voices with hearts full of your promise In your name amen